Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. And as usual, I have a number of headlines that I I want to cover and discuss with you this morning. Now, for starters, you might have read that Paige Becker, the star basketball player for the University of Connecticut women's basketball team, tore her ACL. She's going to be out for the upcoming season. Now, look, of course, there are a lot of terrific female college basketball players in this country, but in my opinion... Paige is clearly one of the best, if not the best. And she was injured for a good portion of the season last year and then returned to uh, Gino Oriema's team and carried them right to the NCAA championship game against South Carolina where they lost. But there were very, very high hopes for UConn and Paige this year. But now this, this ACL injury has sidelined her for the upcoming year. Now, look, injuries are, of course, part of the game. But just as we were talking last week about how hitting a soccer ball being a a growing concern in terms of concussions and perhaps long-term issues in terms of dementia and how there's no real proven way to prevent concussions from hitting a soccer ball, well, the same is sort of parallel, sort of true when it comes to ACL injuries in female athletes. And that is, depending on whatever study you may read, females are much more likely to tear an ACL than males. And even worse, there's not much one can do to try and prevent this from happening. And I, I, I hope to shed some more light on this important topic later on in the hour. In fact, some years ago, I had Dr. Robert Marks, a top knee surgeon from the hospital for special surgery, come on the show. And he was... He was pointing out that women can do some strengthening exercises to try and build up one's knee. But unfortunately, the simple anatomy, the way a woman's woman's pelvis, leg, and knees are constructed, makes them more susceptible to these kinds of knee injuries. We have time. I want to talk about preventing ACL injuries in girls later on in the hour. And if you have a daughter who plays a sport like soccer or lacrosse or basketball, softball, you need to know about this. But first up this morning, one of the most startling developments in the world of youth sports is the booming business of sports complexes all over the country. 
And these are humongous real estate developments that are for profit and basically are being put together to attract travel and club teams to play in games, tournaments, showcases, all for a hefty fee, of course. Now, look, these facilities are all brand new. They just sort of mushroomed up in the last uh, 10 years or so. They are first class, state-of-the-art fields, courts, rinks, whatever. But unlike in the past, if your kid was on a team and playing in a tournament, you may have had to drive him or her to, you know, to different venues to play in those games. So the major advantage of these one-stop youth sports complexes is that every field is located right in the same spot. And from the perspective of smaller towns in America who are always looking for new revenue streams, these sports complexes seem to be the solution for all their financial needs. I mean, look, it all sounds great in theory. Everybody wins. Kids have a chance to travel to a giant sports complex in which to compete. Their parents stay right there, don't have to drive their kid all over the area to various other venues, other games. And, of course, it's just a, a general excitement about playing other teams from all over the country in this really beautiful setting. The problem is these behemoth operations are hard to make profitable. In fact, in an article that ran in the Washington Post last week, most of these huge money makers do everything, except it's not really clear whether they make a lot of money or make any money at all. For example, there's a huge sports complex called Grand Park Sports Campus, which is located in a town called Westfield, Indiana. Grand Park Sports is a 400-acre complex that will probably draw 2.5 million visitors this year. 2.5 million visitors has 26 baseball and softball diamonds, 31 fields for soccer, football, and lacrosse. And they're also in the process of building a gigantic indoor basketball facility as well. Washington, Sport, Washington Post sports writer Roman Stubbs, he did a great job in showing how more and more local communities, communities which are hungry to grow, are looking to follow in the same steps as Westfield, Indiana with the you know, booming youth sports industry featuring more travel and club teams than ever. And the idea is very simple. that building these giant complexes will attract these teams, will basically financially benefit the, the local area due to the need, because once you have this giant complex, you, people come from all over. You need more, more hotels to be built. Restaurants get busy. Uh, these these out-of-towners obviously do shopping and so on to accommodate the millions of kids who come to play in these games and tournaments. Now, remember, we've talked about this before, the youth sports in this country is a $19 billion industry. $19 billion. That's far larger than, for, for example, Major League Baseball or the NBA. So my basic question to you all this morning, and it's a complicated one, is this really the right direction for youth sports? Or do these gigantic sports complexes, as I said, they look great on paper, but at the end of the day, do they really work? Or do they seem as some sort of like, I don't know, an oasis in the youth sports desert, only to turn into a kind of a financial mirage? Remember, the travel team that participates usually has to pay first an entry fee just to be in the, in the tournament. And the entry fee alone, that can range from as little as $300 to as much as 
$2,000 or more. Then you got to obviously pay for the hotel rooms, transportation costs to get to the complex. You need obviously to have to feed the kids and so on and so forth. They can really, really add up in a hurry. For example, I know that uh, there's a major softball tournament that's held in Colorado each year. It's $2,700 as an entry fee for each team. And you're guaranteed four games over the course of a week. So, again, it all sounds wonderful, but is it really? Anyhow, in the Washington Post piece, it was pointed out that Westfield, which is uh, basically outside, it's an Indianapolis suburb, two other towns are also going to follow up like what they're doing in Westfield. Uh, towns of Lebanon and Whitestown, they have both announced plans to build their own sports complexes, projects that are going to cost more than $100 million each and could break uh, you know, grounds uh, in the coming months. Now, while the town of Westfield, I'll give you some numbers here so you can idea what's happening, the impact. This town of Westfield, in the last 20 years, this town has grown from a population of 15,000 to more than 50,000. And a lot of it is attributed to the sports complex. But this past May, a city council member of Westfield delivered a presentation to the city's finance committee about Grand Park's expenses. Now, Grand Park had been built with a $49 million uh, investment from taxpayer dollars, $49 million that the taxpayers paid. And it transformed the town into one of the country's premier sports tourism attractions. But Westfield basically is now saying, well, you know, uh, the park is meant to be an economic driver. And that it's doing, this councilman said. But the park itself is not making money. That's something the taxpayers need to understand. Grand Park does not make money. And that's, that's they're sort of looking at, at a real sort of a dilemma here because in 2021, Grand Park Sports made apparently a little more than $6 million uh, in terms of uh, revenue. But it also had over $3 million in expenses and it was also $3 million of depreciation in assets. So the, the, the fact is, and they have this giant debt they have to pay. If they decide to want to sell this Grand Park complex, that debt cannot be sold to another individual. So it's, it's, it's beginning to see that perhaps the excitement is beginning to sort of wear thin. Um, anyhow, it's complicated stuff. And again, they're all over the country. We know that. And we know some are – it's not a question of how good these things are in terms of the facilities, whatever – People love them. The question is, are they just sort of like a, a momentary kind of uh, fad that after a few years begins to sort of dry up and become sort of a financial a burden? Uh, that's a concern. All right, I'm going to take some calls about this and get into this because I, I think it's, it's something we want to talk about. I can't recall ever discussing this before on the show, so let me get your thoughts. 877-337-6666. Let's start our conversation this morning with uh, Ed Ward over in Elizabeth. Ed, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you doing? This, this is a great topic. And you know what? When I saw that you were doing it on your Twitter account, I wrote some numbers down. We, were yep. this, we, go, we go to a lot of tournaments at Diamond Nation in Flemington, New Jersey, and it's an outstanding facility. They do a great job. It's predominantly run by the Cust family. But we were just in a four-game tournament this past weekend, okay? And it's a big tournament because college coaches come. For our team to participate, it cost us $2,395 to play four games, okay? 100 teams. So they made $239,500 on that. They had this Super 17 tournament. They do it two weeks in uh, June. Yeah. To play five games, it's $2,995. 
<laughs> okay, so that's I mean two thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars. Multiply that by hundred; it's almost three hundred grand. So what you know, the thing is the expenses. Okay, baseballs. Umpires they usually get sixty to sixty five dollars a game. They have a cleaning staff. To be honest, they're outstanding because they keep that place immaculate. Right. A concession staff, lights, and roster books, and each college coach gets a coupon for one free meal at the concession stand. Okay. So let's say the expenses are 25% of that. They're, ma- they're making a lot of money off this. And um, and I know they got a staff that works there. I believe they have like 20 people that work that run the facility and all that stuff. So I understand that. But they do this for, they start running tournaments in March all the way through the end of October. But a lot of the other tournaments, like when we participate in the fall, the tournament prices are going to be half the price. So the thing is, if, you, if they run facilities right, they, they can make a lot of money off these facilities. Well, but here's, let's, let's run past those numbers again. So uh, let's talk about the entry fee. That, how much is that? Over $2,000, you said? If we, we were in a four-game tournament this past week, $2,395. All right, so $2,400. Okay, so uh, what does that cover? That doesn't, I mean, that doesn't cover things like uh, uh, housing or, or, or hotels or, or meals, right? No, no, so no. That- we're fortunate. We're fortunate enough, Rick, our team, it's right in the state of New Jersey, so what our team does, we travel back and forth. But they have teams come from Virginia. We played a team from Maine on Thursday. Yeah, they need hotels. they got to get meals. Yeah, so for those teams, it's a lot more expensive. And what, what, what ages are these, uh, Ed? These are all the high school kids that are hopefully looking to get recruited. Okay, the so probably, that I mentioned, yeah. Go ahead, Rick. I'm sorry. These are kids probably, you know, mostly juniors uh, or, you know, sophomores being looked at by Sophomores and juniors looking to, looking to get recruited. And I'll be honest, they get a lot of coaches there. So it's not like, you know, they're BSing you to say, come to our events. Okay. So they, do. They, they, they get the numbers for that. Okay. So I was going to ask you how many college coaches actually show up and actually go to the games. But you're saying it's only $2,400 just for four games. Um, and, and that's it. Plus, you got, you know, everybody else has to pay for the, uh, the, the, the gas to get there, hotel rooms, food for the kids, and so on and so forth. So it gets going to be a pricey. Now, the question I have is, you know, when it gets to these kind of situations where these things are operating from March till October, um, you know, it's one thing, I assume these things are mostly on the weekends, correct? The games, correct? Well, the three tours I talk about, like the Super 17s and the Blue Chip that we're just in, we played them during the week. Okay. Monday, Thursday. But what? But what we're able to do, if we can, we they give us a request. Like if we want to play games at a certain time, like early in the year, I ask for games after four thirty because of my job situation. And and they they do accommodate you. Okay. You know All you right. got to get that request in two weeks prior to the event. Got it. Okay. Um... And with the fields, uh, how many, uh, with all the fields being used uh, in when, you, when you're... Oh, yeah, they, they, they have seven fields that they use, and sometimes you may have to play off-site. It depends on how many teams they take in. See, so if they take more than 100 teams, you might be playing at, at different venues off-site off, off of domination. But they do a good job at that. They, if you're a team that plays four games like we did this week, you may have to play one game off-site. If, if you play five, in a five-game tournament... You, you may have to. You'll play four games on site, one off site. So they, they, say, they don't have you. When you say Ed off site, you mean not not on the complex, some play, some other field away from that's domination? correct. Yeah, the the, the the fields that you play off site are maybe twenty twenty minutes from the complex. 
I see. Okay. Well, okay. And I got to take a break, but thank you for uh, your thoughts about this because obviously it is an interesting topic, and I'm sure anybody who has ever uh, taken a kid uh, to play in one of these uh, giant uh, super uh, sports complexes has probably wondered the same thing. Do these things actually make money? Are they? I mean, who's profiting here? Is all part of a tied in with the local community? Ed, thank you again. Uh, those are the questions I have, and of course, I mean. Does it make sense, as we're seeing, do, do towns and taxpayers, should they underwrite these operations? Um, and what about the other un, unseen uh, cost here? I mean, the, the employees, uh, they have to get paid salaries. Uh, somebody has to pay for security at these operations. you got to pay for, if it's indoor, like for air conditioning or the lights uh, for the games. Um, I mean, And, of course, the insurance cost, uh, the liability must be pretty hefty number as well. All right, this is what I'm going to talk about. I'm getting a good feedback on this. 877-337-6666. When I come back, I'll go right back to your calls. Stay with me. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Why? Why? If you Why? have T Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T Mobile prioritizes certain T Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. And back here on the Sports Edge on this hot, uh, sultry Sunday morning, we're talking about the booming business of giant sports complexes that are just popping up all over the country. And whether this is, in the end, very good or not so good for youth sports, uh, again, there's no, I'm just looking for, uh, I don't, I'm not taking a position on this. Uh, I'm just looking for feedback because... Uh, from what I understand, what I've seen, these complexes are just uh, humongous and they're clean and well run and so on and so forth. But they are unbelievably expensive uh, for any uh, parent who has to fork over a lot of money to take their kid to play in three or four games. Um, and the question is, is this is this really going to be the way of the future? But I keep reading like this article in the Washington Post last week that it's not clear whether these multi-million dollar operations actually make money, uh, if they're becoming something of a white elephant after a few years, uh, and how do you keep them going? And it's a lot of work and a lot of effort, and the question is, uh, is this going to continue on? Uh, 877-337-6666. Let's get some more, more thoughts about this. Let's go up to, uh, to Phil in Rhode Island. Hey, Phil, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, how you doing, Rick? Love the show. Thank you. Uh, I had the privilege of sitting on a convention and tourism board in a mid-sized city 
pro sports town as well as a university sports town mm-hmm. in, 2000, in 2008. <laughs> and uh, at that time, you'll recall, that was the recession, and that's when business travel and tourism and all that really started to slack off. Yep. And I remember vividly uh, one of the meetings that we had where the head of the tourism bureau said, look, uh, the solution here is youth sports. And I know I confess to rolling my eyes. And so, uh, why is that? And he went through a whole uh, dialogue of research that said, no matter what happens, no matter what state the economy, parents will always spend money to watch their kids play sports. Correct. And that this, this was as recession-proof as possible and that we needed to take a good long-term look at creating one of these sports complexes, and they did. So I think there's a when you look at the you know recession proof is a low, is a dangerous word obviously but when you look at all the things that can impact travel tourism, uh, business relocations and so on this is an area I think you'll see a lot more cities invest in. Yeah, I, I, I it's not you know it's, it's a very I think valid observation uh, to say that you know when parents are looking over what where they want to allocate their dollars, whatever disposable income they have, clearly they, there's a mindset, uh, understandable mindset, that they will put any extra bucks they can into watching their kid play sports. So, yes, Phil, I agree with that, that premise that um, they'd, they'd rather take money and, and, and put it through uh, to have the kid go play in a travel team or, or a club team or, or to, to go to some very, very nice sports complex because that's meaningful to them. And I, I think we all feel the same way. The real question is, at what point does it become too much? Uh, is it too expensive? Or do these complexes begin to sort of fall upon hard times? Uh, did you have any thoughts or, or, or uh, you know, any feedback on or consideration of that? Well, two things. First of all, the average spend of a family uh, that's traveling for youth sports is higher than a business person on an expense account. So that's another thing that was eye-opening for us because, that, you know, you, sometimes you've got two, three, four people traveling together, sisters, yeah. brothers, mom, yeah. dad, and so on. Sure. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, but the other thing about it is it's like anything else. The more of these complexes that spring up, the greater the competition for these tournaments. Sure. So at some point there'll be, you know, this, this end return will not be there. I think the areas that got into it first and have built a reputation for being welcoming communities where families have a good time and it's a, you know, healthy and it's a, a good geography and so on. I think they'll do well, but you know, once you start to build them everywhere, they start sprouting up like mushrooms then you don't have the opportunity to make the money or get the return you're looking for. Yeah, that's a very valid observation uh, because I agree with that, that, you know, there's a a certain rush and surge of enthusiasm and optimism when these things get going. But like anything else, after they've been up and running for a few years, the momentum begins to slack. And as you said, Phil, there are other competitors, uh, like this operation out in Indiana uh, in Westfield. There's going to be two other major competitors within a few miles of them in the next few years. So, you know, if you have too much, the market gets oversaturated and it gets tougher and tougher to, uh, you know, to make any money. That, that's a real concern. Phil, let me uh, thank you for the call. Thank you for this input. It's very, very valuable. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, and that's what we're talking about there. These things, are they just going to be fads? Are they going to be oversaturating the market? Are they going to go away? Uh, let's move on. Let's go to uh, Caldwell, New Jersey. Keith is standing by. Keith, good morning. You're next up on the fan. Keith, are you there? Uh, we think we've lost Keith. Well, let me, let me go on to, uh, to Jack Smithlin over in Fairlawn. Hey, Jack, good morning. Let's talk about this, because obviously you have familiarity with all this as well. 
Oh, uh, sure do, Rick. You know, not on the club basis, because I really never, I, I, I coached in my time some travel teams, but never club teams that did the kind of traveling that they do now. Yeah. Let me just, I have, I have a couple good friends who actually run some programs, um, the Viper, the Venom, the, uh, you know, you had uh, um, Germano, Bob Germano on a few times. Right. Heist, um, good programs, excellent, excellent programs. And I spoke to somebody from the heist yesterday, um, and even a friend of mine from the uh, tsunami, East Coast tsunami, and they gave me some information, and I looked it up. Now, understand that there's a tournament, and Ed, I, I don't want to outdo you, Ed, but in, there's a tournament in Colorado that brings in close to 800 teams in a week or so. Okay, might extend a little <laughs> bit longer than a week. Each... <laughs> Each entry fee is $2,700, okay? Now, I did the math. That means that just on entry fees alone, they bring in, they bring in $2,046,600, over $2 million, all right, in, in a week, okay? Now, what I was also told, and, and one, of the, one of the coaches for... Uh, the heist, uh, Diane Sher, who's a very good friend, um, she told me that that brought in over $10 million of revenue for Denver, Colorado in that one week. Yep. All right. So I can't see that particular facility not making money. So, you know, but the point is, is that like you just said, and this is something that Diane also said to me, was that it starts to filter down to, listen, this person, this state's doing one, this state's doing one. There's tons of national championship tournaments and things like that. So what she said is is that what they're, that tournament they'll go to every year because at that tournament they said there's hundreds of college coaches all yes. week long. They go right. and spend their whole vacation there. But all these other tournaments are starting to take away from that. It'll never take away from that tournament, Diane said. It'll never take away from that tournament. But... The other tournaments, so what they're doing, a lot of the club programs are doing, is they're running their own tournament. And they're inviting all these other teams in from the area. They know all the local coaches. Um, you know, they bring in coaches from also, you know, across the, across the states, across the country. And they do their own tournaments where travel becomes less expensive. People can stay at home. You know, I mean, when you do, like Ed said, they do a New Jersey tournament, you know, down at Diamond Nation. You know, most of the teams are coming in from the the tri-state area. So some of them will stay over. Some of the teams will live at their home and just travel, you know, each day. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, like anything else, all right, youth sports, like your first caller said or your last caller said, youth sports is one thing that every single parent will do, no matter how strapped they are for money, whether gas is $7 a gallon, they're going to make sure that they get to go watch their kids play, their kids are being seen, the older kids are being seen by college coaches, and there's no expense enough, there's no money enough that is going to keep them from doing that. So he was absolutely right in saying that youth sports is the key. Talk to Denver, Colorado. 
They bring in over ten million dollars every time this tournament is run in, in, I, into the city. Again, so. and I, I, I'm listening to you, Jack, and and you know I don't disagree with any of this. And this goes uh, to what uh, you know Ed Ward was saying earlier, and we all feel the same way. And it's true. If you have a kid who loves playing sports, and you have hopes for that kid to go on perhaps play in college, uh, that yeah. you've already bought into the fact that the kid's playing travel ball, you'll pay any amount you you can afford to make sure that kid keeps pursuing their dream. And obviously one of the major attractions to these tournaments is that there's going to be college coaches there in attendance. That's exactly that. That's that's the that's the whole idea. You want to have your kid show their you know strut their stuff in front of college coaches. It, it's it's just the it's just what we are that is what it's all about today in terms of a, a snapshot of american youth sports but as you pointed out and this and uh, phil pointed out and others have pointed out as well the, these things are popping up all over the country these complexes and there may just be too many of them uh and after a while they get they can't sustain because they need these giant entry fees uh, as you said just before you even this the entry fee just means you can play in the tournament has nothing to do with paying off the hotels or transportation to get there and, or food or whatever. But how, how do you keep this going? I mean, because these are hugely expensive complexes. And that's, that's gonna, the real concern. I'm going to give you a little example real quick and then go on to other callers. Yep. Um, Fifteen years ago, there were three major softball tournaments. One in the west, one in the south, and one in the northeast. That was it. That was it. And if you think about it, 15 years ago in Bergen County, New Jersey alone, there were three club softball teams. Uh, so, yeah, three club softball teams. Now there are over 50, okay? <laughs> and these teams have to play in tournaments. So tournaments are popping up all over the place. And what it should do is, you know, that one tournament in Colorado, they say that's the, that's the gold mine over there. That's the, that's the biggest tournament in the nation and teams come from Canada and Puerto Rico and Venezuela, everywhere. But the point is, is that now they're popping up all over the place, not only because people want to make money, but it's also because there are a thousand more teams in every state. So, you know what? It, it the hands, you know, the, what they say, you know, you, you wash your hands with it. But the point is, is that it makes for more activity, more kids going, but like you said, and one more other thing, the warm weather states are the ones that are going to succeed in these things. Oh, states, yeah, I'm glad like, you mentioned you know, that. In, in North, yeah, North Jersey or, you know, you know Northeast, they're only like a, a five-month or four-month venue there. But yeah. you go down to Florida and Texas and California, you're looking at all year they can do this, and they play all year. Yes. So, you know, do the math there. So, yeah, I, no, I, I'm great glad you topic. mentioned that, Jack, because yes, that is true. That the, the unfortunately the weather makes it, it plays a huge factor in this. Uh, if you go down to, for example, look to Disney World in Florida and Kissimmee, yeah. I mean, they have a huge complex there, and they play all year round. It isn't like you know uh, the tri-state area around here, where obviously once the weather gets bad in October, November, it's over. But there, they play all year round, and um, yeah, this is this is big bucks. Jack, I got to take a break. Thank you, as always, for your thoughts. It's good stuff. Uh, it's just remarkable. It says that once you get the actual numbers and the cost of what these teams, travel teams, have to pay and these parents have to shell out, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's staggering amount. And, again, we all know that uh, in terms of the socioeconomic structure for young athletes today, there are a lot of families who obviously can't afford this. They would love to spend uh, the money they have to, to watch their kids play sports, but, unfortunately, the financial constraints are on them, and the kids 
just can't go. They just can't play. It's it's a huge issue. We all know that. All right, let me take a timeout. 877-337-6666. It never ends here. I tell you, this has been some heat wave. And I uh, gather they're now saying it's not going to end until maybe later on in this coming week. It's just been extraordinary. Um, anyhow, back here on the Sports Edge, of course, you know you can always follow me at, on Twitter at Ask Coach Wolf. You can get a preview of the upcoming show for every Sunday morning. Uh, and, of course, my website, as you know, is AskCoachWolf.com, uh, where you can always reach out to me and, and contact me via email. Uh, we're talking right now about this issue of these humongous sports complexes, which are basically sort of taken over the youth sports, uh, you know, arena and, and the, the amount of money that this cost and whether these things, because they become so popular as revenue generators in towns all over the country, uh, are they just becoming too much? And, and what's going to happen? Is, are they going to have too much of a, a wealth of riches or is this just going to be something that's going to fade away or they're going to get bigger and stronger? I just don't know. And I'm getting your thoughts and comments about this at 877-337-6666. And by the way, I do want to give a shout out to uh, my buddy Philip Turner, who uh, made sure I saw the article in the Washington Post about this extraordinary uh, development in terms of youth sports and uh, the youth sports industry? Okay, let's uh, let's go back to our calls. Let's go to uh, let's go to Bob over in uh, in, uh, in North Jersey, and I think this is Bob Germano. Is that correct, Bob? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you, Bob? Good to talk to you. Uh, Rick, sorry about that. Sorry. No, it's, uh, it's great to talk to you too. No, I was um, listening to your topic this morning and. I mean, thing is on these complexes, and when you go to these complexes, and it's a good one, and it's a great experience, and everything else. I, I think it's great. It's great for the game, yep. uh, baseball, softball, soccer, whatever it is. And I think unanimously, everybody that's called in has, has thought the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. as a as a club owner, what I'm thinking is, and as Jack said too, you know, the and you and I have talked about this in the past. There's no barrier of entry for new club teams. Uh, the games, the games are exploding again. Great for the sports. Great the kids are playing. I think that's awesome. The the challenge is is that all the, the higher these tournaments get, it's going to trickle down into our organizations, and our costs have to go up because we've got to keep up with the cost of operation. So if, if the average tournament uh, five years ago was five hundred dollars and now you're paying twenty five hundred dollars to get into into a tournament well those costs have to get passed on to our members so it, we are going to have to constantly judge where our price points are and then you're going to have kind of an arms race of all these different organizations then it's going to be incumbent upon these facility managers uh, one of your previous callers and you know they all do it if you're going to go play at at Diamond Nation, which is a fantastic complex, it's it's awesome, and it's right. a it's a great privilege for for our players to go there. But then you're going to have too many teams. You're going to go play off site, and that's going to take away. You're still paying the amount of money that you're expecting to play there, and you're going to play off site. I get it. Maybe one game, maybe two games, but all those things have to be taken into consideration. And then it's going to come down to again, like you and I have talked to in the past, the quality of the organizations. They're trying to go into these teams, into these events, because if you have an organization that is not run uh, on par with, you have a team from Virginia's coming in that is a uh, uh, full of A type players, and you've got a, a B type team coming in from uh, another area. Those David and Goliath games don't help anybody either. So then you got to balance the expectations of your 
parents and players of, you know, am I going into these events? I'm paying $2,500. Am I getting a David and Goliath game? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, those don't help anybody either. Bob, that's a real good point. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, you don't, you, there's no, everybody sort of says, well, no, we're bringing these, these, uh, you know, wonderful teams from out of state and I'm sure they're going to be highly competitive. And all of a sudden you end up and, you know, if you say if an A team is playing a B team, it can get um, very counterproductive very quickly, and you sort of say, "Well, what, why, why, are we, what are we paying for here?" You know, and the facilities are great, but it's a question. The question is the quality of the teams that that show up. Yeah, and then and then it comes then it comes down to the arms race between the different organizations uh, that are trying to survive, and you know they're saying, "Hey, well, we, you know, we're going to go to you know Jack and mentioned Colorado and you know, the seven hundred teams that go out there." You know, we we made that decision. Uh, 12 years ago, when we started this thing, we, we traded off on our experience saying, we don't feel the need to go to Colorado. I know the teams that go out there, they love it. That's just something we don't do. Yep. We deploy those resources elsewhere. Those that go there, fantastic. But, you know, we, we just don't do that. So, you know, it's just what we're trying to, and, and that gets worked against us. We lose players because they hear they're going to go to Colorado, and good luck. That's great. We, we just don't feel the need to do that. But so as you get into these different organizations and these different um, locations, like Jackson, New Jersey, just built a beautiful one. They're building hotels and water parks. Fantastic! It's great. Uh, so where that goes, I think your topic is is spot on. And then you know it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we've got the competitive teams to get there. But not all teams are built to the exact same level of competition. So how do how are those venues going to manage that? Or are they going to become just a revenues, a, a revenue-based function, which I'm sure they are, and they don't really care. So it's like those are the things that we have to judge rather than just go chase the venue. Yeah. We've got to chase the experience. No, I, I, I think that's a very prudent approach, uh, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And, again, we'll see how these all these things you know, begin to shake out in the, in the very near future because it may just be too many of them. Bob, thank, thank you for, com- for calling in yeah. this morning. I greatly appreciate Thanks, it. Man. Good to talk to you. That is that is uh, Bob Germano, who runs uh, the very highly respected uh, North Jersey uh, Vipers softball program. And, uh, you know, he obviously is in the middle of all this, and uh, I thought his comments were right on target. Let's continue. Let's go to uh, Jared over in Woodlawn. Hey, Jared, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, good morning, Rick, and thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, pleasure to follow up your two previous callers, uh, even though I'm not a professional. Uh, I am a parent. And I'd like to just touch on a few things with respect to these uh, sport complexes. Um, going back to what you said about 10 minutes ago in terms of oversaturation, um, <clears throat> I'm from the five boroughs, and though I haven't had the privilege of going to the Colorado complex, uh, it sounds like that, just as Chelsea Piers in Manhattan, are going to be quote-unquote recession-proof because of just how beautiful the sports facility is. Mm-hmm. But when you end up having other facilities paid for by, you know, local townspeople taxes or city and state taxes, try to emulate that and not have the financial backing, I think that's where oversaturation uh, is going to come into play. Furthermore, uh, not only oversaturation, but the watering down of the importance of these tournaments. Obviously, the one in Colorado, which is followed by many college uh, coaches, as well as, you know, Chelsea Piers and uh, how big they are with ice hockey. Uh, If I'm a parent, those are the two places I'm going to go because 
as they say, if everyone's a genius, no one is. And <laughs> if you're playing in twenty world, if you're playing in twenty World Series, which one really matters? So I think that the oversaturation and the smaller sports complexes are actually going to end up doing a disservice because unless every parent is extremely well off, um, there's not going to be enough money to go around. And like your last caller said, you know, these club owners and these parents are going to have to pick and choose what is right. And what I would hate to see is um, the continuation of these smaller sports complexes, although beautiful, uh, popping up on, you know, mom and pop's dime and then having to shut down. I was wondering... um, your thoughts on that take? Well, Jared, thank you. Thank you, Jared. And I will say this: you know, yes, we all accept the fact, the premise that that, regardless of the 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 economy in this country, it does seem certainly that youth sports is recession proof, and that's what that's the basic tenet of all these uh, youth sports complexes: that parents will pay anything they have to pay. To give uh, the ch- kid a chance to go travel, to play against better competition, and so on and so forth, in the hope that they may somehow attract a college coach and maybe get a college scholarship. Okay, we get all that. But that being said, there has to be at some point a, a tipping point where you just say, you know, I would love to have- send you out to wherever, to Disney World or to, to Colorado or-, or to Arizona for this big major you know, tournament showcase, but it's going to be too expensive. We can't afford that. And, and we have other kids. We have to pay, you know, the rent or the mortgage or whatever. At some point, there's going to be a tipping point. I don't know what that tipping point is. Obviously, everybody have, has their own sort of um, situation financially. But I do think we'll come to a point sooner rather than later where money, is, you just can't afford it. It's just too much dough. Uh, yeah, we do know there are a lot of wealthy people in this country. I get that. But for most of us, you know, you got to say, well, can we, how's this going to work? How, what's, what is the payoff on this? And that's that's the real concern. So I don't know what, what the future is going to be. I do think that, as most of you said this morning, at some point there's going to be a shaking out uh, of, of just too many competitors. And the ones that have the most financial backing, perhaps they have some sort of tax deal in place, some sort of tax abatement in place from the local community. Uh, that will give them a little more firepower. I just don't know because it's all very complicated, and, and these things are not always transparent. Uh, and that, that is a concern. Let me take uh, another call about this. Let's go to Jimmy up in Hopewell Junction. Uh, good morning, Jimmy. You're on the fan. Hi, Rick. How are you? Good to good. talk to you again. You too. My uh, my experience with this has been that these tournaments and these uh, venues have taken on almost like an amusement park um, atmosphere. Oh, where yeah, sure. These yeah. you know these things are they they've become a social event. People plan their vacations around them, and you know that type of thing. That um, I think that that's what's kind of powering it, and that's what's you know making it become bigger and bigger. Jimmy, I think that's all part of it, uh, uh, no question, and, and uh, yeah, thank you for the call as always. Yeah, there's no question that if I'm trying to run one of these super complexes, well, the kids aren't playing games all the time, so when they're having some down hours, that's, there should be an amusement park attached to this or other attractions that the kids and, and their family want to go to. See, so it becomes like a family vacation, 
And that, of course, is great. That's all part of the lore. Um, and I think that's, that's what these places like, for example, Disney World are, are predicated on. As simple as that. All right, folks, before we, before we wrap up the show, I do want to talk very quickly about what happened you know, with women uh, and ACL injuries in light of what Paige Becker uh, getting hurt this past week. And look, as you may know, if you're a sports parent, females are anywhere from two to four times more likely to suffer an ACL injury than males. And at the more elite levels of competition, the chances of, of injuring one's ACL is even higher. Now, again, I don't want to go through much of all the, the anatomy of a women's uh, you know, structure, but there is something called a Q-angle in women's legs that is distinctly different from men's legs. And that's one of the reasons why women are more susceptible to tearing their ACL. Plus, the way in which the women land and girls land when they move uh, in, in physical competition is also different than males. And it also puts more stress on their knees. Now, some years ago, I had Dr. Robert Marks, who's a top knee surgeon from Hospital for Special Surgery on the show. And he was pretty upfront. He said women can do some strengthening exercises to try and build up one's knee. But unfortunately, it just has more to do with the way a woman is, is constructed. And, and, um, and uh, Dr. Marks's book, The ACL Solution, provides real tips on how to strengthen one's hips and hamstrings and other key muscles to prevent ACLs. There's also something called the PEP, that's P-E-E, P-E-P program. You can uh, read about online about preventing ACL injuries. But the fact is, this is a real problem. And if you, if you look at, uh, you know, if you have a daughter who plays soccer or basketball or lacrosse, um, you know this is a real concern. And you're going to have to basically build into them a sense before they go out to practice or to go and play in a game. They have to go through a, a variety of these PEP exercises as best they can to prevent these ACL injuries. And, and again, before we're out of time this morning, I do want to bring in our, our good friend, Dr. Rob Freed, who's familiar with this, uh, get his thoughts and comments about ACLs and, and girls. Rob, good morning. Good morning, Ray. First of all, I want to say I'm glad Jack brought up Disney World, and you mentioned it as well as Southern, Southern locations, because all the times I've gone down to Disney, that's like the national place where, uh, at the, that ESPN complex. I mean, that's unbelievable what they got down there. They just built a basketball arena, and that's where they have a lot of these national tournaments. And uh, even the gentleman mentioned Chelsea Piers. They have yeah. golf and high soccer over there, and that's, you know, obviously that's New York City. But, you know, getting to this, this whole thing with the ACL, and I was talking to Jack about it. Women are just built differently. Yes. Okay? They, yes. they have hips, and, you know, that's one of the reasons you just mentioned the Q angle because from the hip going down to the, the femur and the, and the tibia fibula complex, that creates a different uh, anatomical structure that boys have. And believe it or not, it's actually seven to eight times more common uh, where females will will get will, will you know tear their ACLs. And the ACL, obviously, as we know, we, we see non-contact injuries. I mean, Sterling Shepard had one with the Giants. I saw last year watching the Giants immediately. I saw that uh, the way he moved in that one movement off the line of scrimmage, uh, ACL gone. It, it's just unbelievable um, how the, how these things happen. You still with me, Rick? Well, yes, absolutely, Robin. I was going to say, you know, the, the um, if you go and you look at uh, college or professional uh, sports, especially with women like basketball or soccer, it's not uncommon to see almost half the team wearing knee braces. Well, they, a... their ligaments are relaxed. Women's their structure they're structurally built differently. Their ligaments are actually looser, okay, than, than male. 
Um, but we can, women can, uh, their posture is different. A lot of these injuries happen the way they're falling yep. um, because yep. they just built differently. And this is something that can be corrected. Uh, this is another thing that we're just gonna, women are just going to have to accept in, in, in the way they're built. But you can strengthen the hamstrings. There's also muscle imbalances. The quadriceps on women are usually much stronger, and they're weaker on the hamstring side. And that's going to cause a muscle imbalance, which is going to cause the ACL. Uh, the knee's an amazing structure. you got those the ACL, <laughs> which is the anterior cruciate, and the posterior cruciate, which is, sits behind it. it. It sits like an X, and it holds the femur and the tibia and the femur uh, together, which is, you know, the whole the whole knee joint. And then you got the medial and lateral side, which you have the MCL and, you know, the lateral collateral. Not to get too anatomically, but you, but the bottom line is these can, it, it's basically women are built differently, mainly because, what? like you mentioned, that Q angle with the hip. And But we can strengthen. Women can learn to strengthen uh, the, the correct muscle imbalances. And, you know, this is something we just, Rob, we're just going to have to be aware of. I, I, I hear you loud and clear, and I wish I had more time, and we'll get into this, you know, hopefully down the road. But, and I thank you as always for your, 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 your call and your good comments. The fact is, friends, yes, if you have a daughter who plays sports at the uh, middle school, high school level, you have to educate yourself. Uh, as I said, you can go online and look at these PEP exercises to strengthen the quadriceps, to strengthen the thigh muscles, to strengthen their hamstrings. In order to, to help strengthen and prevent these ACL injuries from happening to them. Uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, again, that book uh, that Dr. Marks wrote is called The ACL Solution for more uh, information about these preventive measures. But it's just extraordinarily important uh, that you, you learn about this so you can basically teach your, your daughter. Okay, that's going to do it uh, for me and this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this week to Brian Rascona. Uh, don't forget Mark Melusis. He comes along next. I'll see you next Sunday morning on Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. Powerful as Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.